Welcome back to Fully Equipped. It is a two-man show this week. Myself and Mr. Robot. Chris is off actually getting some work done. He's doing fittings this week in Denver for TruSpec. And RB is playing golf at Sweden's Cove in an event. Screw him, Gene. I, you know, here we are actually getting some real work done. Although I will say Chris is getting work done too. We're doing a podcast and RB's off gallivanting across the country playing golf at Sweetens Cove. It's not fair. Well, in all fairness, it's more like a one and a half, one and a quarter man show. I came down. I'm with trying to be nice today, Gene. <laughs> oh, I'm not talking about my general state. I'm talking about today. I took my kids up to the UCLA Utah game, which we won, and we are six and zero. Just a little go Bruins, yeah, but uh, my son, my son had been fighting a cough. I guess sixty kids in his class had been out, and he gave it to me on Monday. And I realized one thing about the pandemic. We haven't had colds in a while. Man, when those things come back, they are nasty. So anyways, I'm all jacked up on a bunch of NyQuil, ready to go totally sideways, and will be responsible for none of the content I'm providing today. Yeah, we're probably going to have Coach slap an explicit content <laughs> on this one. Yeah, you you sound like death, but you are here, thankfully. The alternative would have been me just talking to myself for an hour and I, that doesn't sound like a very good plan. So there's, there's, there's some fight through. There's some guys that do that, that like that. I just, it, it sounds like it would give me a headache, but anyways. Yeah. So how are you doing my man? I'm good. You know, it's, it's that time of the year where we're ramping up for club test and starting to, to plan trips to COEMs and all that, but planning trips, you know, RB wrote a story before he left for Sweden's Cove. And it was on planning how to pack for a golf trip, but from a gear perspective. And that got me thinking, you know, I've gotten a lot better about packing, especially for golf trips. Um, I think back to, I think back to last year when we did the, we did a boondoggle to Bandon and it was pretty much all the golf you could handle and, and, pretty much three days. And I packed just an absolute minimum of like shorts and shirts. And, you know, I think that's the big thing now is, is just trying to pack and and be smart about it. But it's always, I'm always thinking about like, what am I packing clothes wise? Like if you're going to go on a big golf trip, I always suggest like if you're playing 36 a day, bring two pairs of golf shoes. Like that's, that's an absolute must, but I never really think about it from a gear perspective. And that's what like RB got me thinking about is what are the items that you definitely need to bring with you if you're going somewhere. Um, one of the things he suggests, and I don't know so much, you know, we talk about wedge grinds and the importance of having a grind that's built for the golf course you play. RB suggested, you know, maybe bringing different grinds. If you're playing a golf course, that's in a different part of the country, you know, maybe you bring, if you're playing, let's just say you play on a golf course, that's, you know, softer, you, you probably want something with, with a bit more bounce, but if you're playing on firm conditions, you want something with less bounce and, you know, there are different grinds that are going to help you build your wedge setup for those conditions. But, you know, I don't, it's a golf's expensive game, man. I got to say as, as much as we talk about wanting to, to have different wedge grind setups, depending on the course conditions, I, that's a tough one. I mean, if you, if you've got the extra cash and you can do it, Go for it, but 
Well, yeah. I mean, I think it, I think it makes complete sense if you're getting paid to go play golf. If it's your if it's your livelihood and your paycheck, it's a hundred percent. If you're not getting paid to go play golf, it's uh, yeah. To your point, you know, I I trust me. The people that do that, I love them because they put food on my table. They're who I call the golf sickos that you know get into it all. But the reality is. You know, the delta in performance between having the right grind and not, unless you're going from just a dog track hard pan to the most lush fairway, is probably not going to be worth the the cost. But what I will say, and going back to what I'm adamant about, uh, is if you're playing fall golf, especially, and your clubs are anywhere that is, you know, you're anywhere that the weather gets below 40 degrees at night, bring your golf balls inside. If they're sitting outside and it gets cold, it will, um, it's going to take five or six holes till those golf balls start to perform from a distance standpoint. And that is one that nobody ever thinks about. And it's so easy to do. Um, temperatures especially under 35 40 degrees and the length of time exposed will definitely have an effect on your golf balls yeah that's a good one also with fall golf since we are into fall now if you're going to be going and playing somewhere where there's fall foliage and a lot of that foliage is now on the ground maybe bring a golf ball in a different color you know i think of all the manufacturers now that have their premium level products in in a color other than yellow or sorry, other than white, meaning you could get them in yellow. I don't mind. I don't mind doing that because I having lived in the Northeast for years, it's so frustrating playing golf out there and hitting a decent shot. And it just bounds right off the fairway into the rough. And you're like, all right, I'm a couple paces off and there's leaves everywhere and you can't find your damn ball. And sometimes yeah. I think if you had a different color, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's something to at least bring along. Um, something else that I would consider that RB points out, you know, if you're going to play a golf course, that's walking only, you know, and there are no golf carts. I mean, I'm looking at, at band and dunes as one of those, you know, think about the golf bag that you're going to be bringing. You know, if if you're going to have a caddy, you know, those guys, I, I will tell you, they will they will make it very clear to you at the beginning of the round. If your bag is heavy, they're going to have you take some stuff out to try and lighten the load. But one way to just do that in advance is, you know, if you don't have, uh, if you don't have a lightweight carry bag, maybe it's something that you might want to invest in instead of the cart bag that you have, or, or even, you know, even some of those mid-level uh, stand bags that might be a little bit on the heavier side, just try and have a lightweight option. Because if you're going to go play a golf course that only requires you to, to walk and doesn't have carts, that's something that I think you should also, you know, bring along, bring that along in addition, you know, in addition to your, your, you know, your heavier bag, if you want, if you want to have options, because a lot of these, like I think about like the, the ping, some of the ping bags, the moonlight is, I mean, it's, it's a crazy light bag. It doesn't have, a, it doesn't have a stand on it. You just set it on the ground and it has a neoprene base. So even if you're playing on the morning where it's, it's dewy, it's not going to make your bag soaking wet. And you know, they, they weigh nothing. You can jam them in a travel bag. No problem. Um, other things that I would suggest bringing along, bring a wrench for your club, you know, for your driver, any of your fairways, just in case maybe you're hitting some, some, 
squirrely shots. If you want to adjust it, just bring a wrench along. You know, I, I don't think I don't think there's anything crazy that you need to need to bring for these trips, but just just plan accordingly and and bring the right gear, tees, ball markers, all that stuff. But yeah, from a gear perspective, wrench would be one. Maybe a different color golf ball if you're going to play in, you know, the fall colors. But um, yeah, maybe another golf bag. That that raises an interesting question, and I don't know if you've ever done any research on this, Jay Wall. Uh, how many players use their wrenches? Well, I mean, we know it's we know it's absolutely zero. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It's just so funny. It's like bring it, you'll never use it. I, uh, I. How much I money do a, you uh, think the manufacturers spend, or should I say, waste in in wrenches per year? Oh because God. if you buy a new driver, you get a wrench with that driver. You get the same wrench. Well, the crazy thing is, where when was it? It was in August. I was playing golf. And I was, this guy had a 10 degree lofted driver and I can't remember the model, but he had plus or minus a degree. You could just tell he was launching about a degree or two higher. And I don't know, the model was like three years old or so. And he was a sicko. He played two to three times a week. And I said, Hey man, if you don't mind, you know, cause I mean, we weren't, <laughs> we weren't playing for money or anything, so it didn't really matter. But I said, if you have a wrench, I'd love to turn your driver down. And he had never adjusted in three years. I couldn't get the head off of the shaft. It had like fused onto the shaft <laughs> because of, because it, it, you know, he'd spent so many, so many hours beating golf balls with it. But uh, the point is, what's so funny whenever I bring that up to anyone, they look at it like they're going to break it. Right. That's like their fear. Like, Oh my God, I've got this $500 club. And if I change something, I'm going to break it. And it's, it's, it's never going to work again type thing. And anyways, it's, it is absolutely amazing to me how few players, I mean, I'm going to put it conservatively, at 5%, I think realistically, probably 1%. Yeah, I would say probably closer to 1. Yeah. I mean, 5 fives being generous. I, I, would, I would love to know how many golfers actually have a wrench in their house or know of where, where that wrench is. Right. Well, I mean, well to your, to your point, be, most, most, most of them are usually – usually they'll toss it in their golf bag just because – that's where they think it's supposed to so go. It's, it's probably yeah. in the bottom of their golf bag. So yeah, telling me. exactly. Okay. Yep. All right. Great. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So, so maybe <laughs> based on those numbers we're kicking around, maybe don't bring a wrench. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, maybe it's already, maybe it's already in your golf bag. Um, bring extra golf balls. There's another piece of gear that I don't think. Definitely know, bring extra golfers. golf balls. Bring, bring your, bring extra golf balls. You don't want to, you don't want to pay, pay for the, I mean, unless you really want the logo balls that are more expensive. Don't I mean just get bring bring your own golf balls. Let's just put it that way. But don't bring too many golf balls if you've got a caddy like Bandon, or you're gonna really piss them off. So yeah. or just know. or just save those extra dozens that you brought along and just you know keep put them, them in your hotel put, room. Put put them in your luggage. Yeah, and yeah. you keep yeah. them indoors and you keep them warm so they don't get cold and yeah. have less performance. Yeah. Bingo, there bingo. There we go. All right, so there's a couple of I guess sage pieces of advice from uh from two gear idiots on <laughs> ways to to improve your next golf trip when it comes to your gear speaking of gear gene 
Yes. I want to let you know that this week's episode of Fully Equipped is brought to you by our good friends at Fairway Jockey. We talk about custom golf clubs all the time on the pod, and we're often asked, where's the best place to buy custom clubs? For us, the answer is easy because only one place offers the lowest prices on custom-built clubs, and that's fairwayjockey.com. Do your homework. No one beats their prices. You'll save up to 15%. And when you're talking about a bigger ticket purchase like golf clubs, that can add up to big savings. Build your custom set today at fairwayjockey.com. One club that I know is coming to Fairway Jockey in the not-too-distant future is Ping's G430. Now, this is a club that we talked about last week on the pod. We've got a couple of stories up on the G430 Woods, the drivers in the fairways, plus the irons. RB was out in Vegas last week, and he managed to snap a whole bunch of pictures. And for me, anytime there's a tour launch, I get excited because having spent you know six years working for the PGA Tour, just covering nothing but tour gear, you know, launch days for me are always interesting because yeah, sure. You want to know who's putting the new stuff in play, but I want to know after the first week, how many guys are putting that new product in play because some years the new stuff pops and you get a whole bunch of pros switching the very first week. Other years, it feels like the numbers, maybe half of what it was, what it was the previous launch, and then you start wondering, like, well, what is it? Is it because the previous version is so much is just so good that the new one just wasn't that great? Um, did did they? Is this just a major flop? And you know, it's very early in the game that very first week, but it is always fun to see what the numbers are. And I will say that for Ping, this was a rousing success for the new G430 driver, in particular that LST model, which is their low spinning driver. It's the one that we talked about last week that has the carbon crown. And so we had already mentioned the addition of carbon is probably gonna change the overall acoustics of that driver. It's gonna give it a different sound. And lo and behold, that was a big reason why so many guys switched the very first week. In fact, Ping saw 28 pros switched to the new G430 the very first week. And of those 28, 23 switched to the new LST model. So Ping ends up finishing second in the overall driver count to Titleist. But the big story here, Gene, is the fact that Ping ends up pipping Titleist in the model count. So specific models, they also, in addition to doing the driver count, so total number of drivers in the field for one brand, Daryl survey. We've talked about Daryl in the past. It's uh, it's a couple of folks who show up every week to the tour events. They go through the bags on Thursday. They check and see who each player, you know, what each player has in the bag for brands. And then based on those numbers, that's how the manufacturers can then claim for, for one week, hey, we were the number one driver, m- most played driver on the PGA Tour at, you know, Shriners, for for example, for last week. So Ping ends up with 23 LSTs in that second to Titleist new TSR3, which had 18. And we've been talking a whole lot about Titleist, the TSI and the TSR. They have been red hot, arguably the hottest driver on the PGA Tour since TSI was launched. But the very first week out, LST, they're the number one, they, the LST is the number one model out there. I think it's a big story. And I don't, again, I don't know if it's because I've just spent way too much time around tour equipment news, but I think 
for that driver model to be the number one most played model first week out's a big deal. Well, so I have a couple questions for you. Number one, what are you hearing from the tour? What what are their initial perceptions in regard to the the club? Yeah. So this this is actually an interesting one. There they said that for a lot of the guys, the difference in sound going to the carbon fiber was was a big selling point. You know, the the G425, you know, let's be honest, it was loud. You know, a lot of ping drivers were loud. They they used titanium construction and the overall acoustics are a little bit on the the higher side. So it, it's not as muted as some of the other drivers out there. And the other bit of it that was positive for many of the pros was they all they pretty much all of them saw an increase of two to three miles in ball speed when compared mm. to G425. Now, here's the most interesting part about that little nugget is they're saying that the ball speed numbers are now back to what they were seeing with G400. Mm. Meaning that G425 wasn't as fast as the 400. That's why we saw, I, I, in my opinion, I think we saw a lot of the guys stay in the 400 because it was so fast. And maybe they saw a ball speed dip and they're like, eh, I'll just stick with the 400. But yeah, they're, they're seeing a, a much faster driver this year with that 430. It's interesting, you know, as you were talking, I was kind of looking through the results. They I mean, they're not super slow in comparison to the entire like golf population, but they're they were a little bit slower than um, you know, the clubs that were introduced. So, I'm going to say 2021 because that was that was the season. The other interesting thing about the uh especially the 425 LST, and I'm kind of curious about this, uh, it was a bit higher launching. It had great spin characteristics, but it was a bit higher launching. And I'm really curious, you know, when we test that to see if that launch angle came down, not a lot, but a little bit, which will uh, add to that more boring trajectory and also potentially pick up some of that ball speed. So anyways, yeah, kinda, yeah interesting. Yeah, I, I think... For for sure, the if if they can if they can get a lower launch, I think that could that could certainly help for some of those guys that would fit into an LST product. Um, the other piece of the of the equation for for Ping that ended up working in their favor is as opposed to waiting until this week to do a lot of the testing, they decided to start a couple weeks early and start pounding the pavement and going to. You know, for example, Stillwater to work with Victor Hovland and, and going to the homes of a lot of these tour pros on their staff and working with them on the new driver to get them dialed. Because what ended up happening is they had so many guys show up to, to Vegas with the new driver. And that ends up because tour pros talk. You, you know this. I know this. And when they start talking, they all of a sudden start generating a whole lot of chatter on the range. Because guys go, well, well, why does this guy have a new 430 driver? Where's mine? And so then you start getting other guys interested in the new product. Those that have already tested it and, and fit into it, they're like, hey, look, here's what I'm seeing. Here are the benefits. So th I think that also helped too, the fact that they didn't wait until this until last week to do the tour launch, the official launch, and let everybody just try and fit into it week, week one. They were already getting guys dialed in in advance. And so I think that also plays into it as well. Things doing a little things a little bit different in that regard. And I also, you know, 
you look at the colors on this driver, Gene, and I know people are probably laughing at me right now, but that kind of that neon yellow, it looks a bit more aggressive. And the fact that they're now going to carbon, we've, we've discussed in the past, Ping is historically one of the last to adopt a lot of these technologies that we know in the industry, one of them being carbon fiber. You know, they were one of the last to adopt adjustability in their woods. Um, they were one of the last to adjust, to uh, adopt adjustability in their driver, like this, you know, moving the CG and the launch conditions. So, you know, I think this is maybe the year that we see Ping get a bit more aggressive with the speed and the distance. You know, Titleist did it. Titleist, you know, we've discussed them in the past. They were historically slow in recent years, going all the way up until TS. Then TSI comes along and all of a sudden they're one of the leaders in ball speed. So, you know, I, I feel like the pendulum is, is kind of shifting a little bit. We're seeing some of these OEMs that people have known as being stable products, but maybe not fast, titles being one, ping being another. Maybe they're now going to start pushing the envelope a little bit and getting into the ball speed game. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, the interesting thing for me is going to be to see, because I was looking at the spin rates and their spin rates were pretty low, especially on the nine degree LST. And as we've talked about, you know, if you go sub 2000, then you, then you enter into a whole nother, you know, area of complexity, but we'll just have to test it and uh, see what comes out. Yep. So in addition to the ping G40 LST, Titleist launched the new Pro V1 and Pro V1X last week. Had 15 guys use it in Vegas. A few of those players, one of them being Gary Woodland, had already put it in play the week prior. 15 doesn't seem like a crazy high number. It seems it seems kind of right in line with where Titleist has been with with recent launches of their of their golf ball. Um, the other gear story from Vegas that that caught my eye, Harry Hall who is a UNLV product, grew up, uh, I shouldn't say grew up, but he played a lot of his, his golf during college at, at TPC Summerlin where they, where they played the Shriners tournament. He ended up finishing T15, which, you know, everybody's probably saying, well, who, who really cares? But he had two drivers in the bag, Gene. Wow. Yep. So he, he wow. ends up, he's a, he's a Callaway guy. And he ended up adopting the same strategy as another Callaway staffer. Although, can I call him a Callaway staffer because their deals still on on pause? That being Phil Mickelson. Well, pause sure. is he's an still interesting a, he's still word. A staffer. Yeah, he's well, still a staffer. What he's was his? Staffer. What was what was Hall's mindset? So he drivers? just he said that when it when it comes to that golf course, he's played it so many times that he knows that he has a driver that he can hit. To, to basically match the shot shapes on pretty much any par four mm. at, at TPC Summerlin. So for him, that was what he really wanted. He's like, you know, you can make a lot of birdies out there if you're hitting driver and being aggressive. <coughs> and so for me, I'm trying to work at both directions and that's why I need, that's why I'm going to use two drivers. But rarely, if ever, do you hear of tour pros these days going with the, with the two driver setup. It's just not. Oh, it's it's just because you make all your money with your wedges. That's why, you know. Yeah, but I mean, you make you make. I mean, we've seen it. A lot of the guys that are that are up there in the money every week are the ones that are bombing the ball. I mean, no, no, no. I mean, it's it's well, you know. I, I let me let me back that up a little bit. If fairways hit, 
is where you make a lot of money, you know, and, and that you give yourself a, a chance. And if you're bombing the ball and you're coming close or hitting fairways, it, it's a completely different game than if you're just, you know, there's a lot of bombers out there that they're in the rough and they're hacking it out. And that, you know, it, it just depends. It de- it's, it depends on risk reward. How much does length benefit you? If length cuts off one to two clubs, one to two irons and an approach, it's massively successful. If length penalizes you one shot because you, you know, flew into a lateral, it's massively penal. And you ultimately have to balance that, you know, with your game. And uh, I, I don't know, I'm, you know, that's what makes this game a bit like chess in that there are many different ways to reach the end result um and it's how you choose to uh go after it but you know when i'm playing my best golf i'm getting the ball long and in the fairway because the game is pretty simple at that point the problem is it's really hard to hit it long and in the fairway that's the reason the game's challenging well thanks thanks to the pga tour most of the golf courses that they're playing every week the rough isn't all that penal. (laughs) So I think that's why we see so many guys just trying to bomb it because you really don't need to worry about whether you're missing the fairway or not. I mean, as long as you've got a a wedge or a nine iron in your hands versus the guy who's, who's trying to, you know, trying to be accurate and find the fairway. I mean, you're you're probably going to have a much higher likelihood of making birdie on a hole like that if you're just bombing it out there. But, um, yeah, anyway, two drivers for Harry Hall, the, the other, (laughs) This is a first, I got to say. So, John Rahm is your winner in Spain. It's his third win at the Open uh, de España. But the gear story coming out of that event comes from a guy who didn't even make the cut. Thomas Bjorn ended up going on social media to vent about a situation that happened during the tournament he said on social to the guy who changed the settings on my driver overnight in the bag store, may you wake up every morning for the rest of your life, bleeding hemorrhoids. (laughs) That that's funny. Yeah. So there probably were a few people out there. Oh, and I forgot to mention hashtag low life. That was, that was the end of, that was the end of the tweet, but yeah, I don't think I've ever and, and 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 Bjorn's not even Irish. That's that that's something <laughs> like that sounds like it would come from an Irish player. But I thought those I thought those Scandinavians were a little bit more civil than that. That's nah, well, funny. I, maybe not when it comes to to somebody screwing with his livelihood. So at tour events, who would do you that? Two, you have two options at a tour event if you're a tour pro. You finish your round. You can leave your clubs in bag storage at the course, which a lot of pros do, or you can take your clubs with you at the end of the day. And I know a lot of people mentioned, you know, Nicholas Trevino, Palmer, a lot of them all kept their clubs with them. You know, those were, those were the, their, their tools and they didn't want to let them out of their sight. But a lot of guys, I mean, I, I think back every year and it, this, it's, I think this is one of my favorite events because of this, but every year in Phoenix, at waste management, the the area that the that the media quote unquote media center shares with uh, with the bag or it shares the the space with the bag area. 
So literally you go down into what's, what's I, I'm guessing, I think it's the usual cart barn. It's below, it's below the clubhouse. And you hook a left and that's where the media center area is. If you stay straight, that little area right there is where they put all the bags. I mean, literally you can walk up and down that road if you're at the you know end of the day and it's nothing but golf bags right there. I mean, so I, I, I don't like to go peeking into the guy's bags without asking them if I could take photos. But I mean, literally you could pick up anybody's clubs and just start rummaging around. I mean, you could probably start throwing irons in different bags or yeah, it's, it's kind of dicey when you think about it. But there are a lot of tournaments where that's the case. I mean, the, the clubs are just kind of housed in an area and, you know, that's that's where they are. They, they, they probably have somebody there to keep tabs on them, hopefully, maybe. But this is a possibility that somebody could come along and if they had a wrench, they could go and they could adjust a pro's driver, change the settings on it. And you know how particular uh, pros are. If you adjust the settings or you know what you're doing and you you turn the settings in the exact opposite way of what they had them. So now you go from you, you've got your driver set up for a, for a baby fade and now it's set up to hit a, a heavy draw. You, you could do some damage there and, and, and make a guy miss the cut. I, that, like I said, I think that's the well, very first time I've ever heard of a pro claiming that somebody tried to sabotage their gear. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's a couple points to the story, I guess you got to ask. And, you know, the first one kind of like, you know, how did it slip through the LPGA player got the non-conforming club? It's kind of the same thing. Okay, so first off, we make an assumption that someone knows what to do with said wrench and is, you know, really has an axe to grind against Thomas Bjorn. So let's say that's the case. And then number two, when you go out on your range session, you mean to tell me you don't hit the shots with this and go, something's not right. What's, what's going on? I mean, the range session should kind of weed that out unless he didn't, you know, he's a little bit older, so maybe he doesn't hit as many golf balls. Maybe he didn't pull that club out. I don't know, but I don't know. There's, there's a few things in there that kind of make me go, huh? Not quite sure. Do you think it was just his way of trying to place the blame on somebody else? No, no, you know, I don't, I don't want to cast aspersions on Mr. Bjorn, but it's just, man, someone's really not got to not like the guy, (laughs) you know, that's, that's kind of whacked, you know, why didn't they, uh, why didn't they put uh, super glue in his dimples too? you know, screw up his ball flight. I mean, do all kinds of fun things, you know, slightly fractured shafts. So they started breaking. I don't know. It just, it just seems so malicious and to what end, but who knows? Yeah. Stranger things yeah. have happened. I know. I, I would love, to, I mean, changing the driver settings, if you're going to do something that could have a, a, you know, a detrimental effect on a pro without them really noticing, or at least not initially, Changing the settings on a driver is a good one. Right, because they're not readily apparent. And especially um, if there's some of these complicated plus and minus systems and zero symbols and things like that that don't, you know, say that you've just gone two degrees upright and two degrees, you know, stronger on loft or something like that. So if you were to ask a tour pro what what their driver setting is, how many of them do you think could just tell you like that well i'll tell you a funny story i think the statute of limitations has run off on this one but when taylor first uh introduced 
you know, their adjustable driver, the first one, and they started winning, there was a certain media publication that started calling them every week and going, what was the club set to? Neutral, neutral. Next week, what was the club set to? Neutral, neutral. Next week, what was the club set to? Neutral, neutral. After the fourth week, the PR department stopped responding to their inquiries. So, you know, that's a, that's that's a little snapshot. Uh, now, that was in the beginning, kind of pre-launch monitors and things like that. But I think, like everyone, when that club is working, they lock it in and forget about it type thing. I mean, you know, the only time that I've heard that you get, you know, you can get some big changes in equipment is, you know, when you go from the West Coast swing to Florida, the West Coast swing, a lot of times you hit the ball higher because it's not as windy. And then when you get down into Texas, you might want to have, you know, ball that gets on the ground a little bit quicker because, you know, especially when there's higher wind. So I think there are uh, regional specific areas that tour players will adjust their clubs. But like average golfers, what I think it comes down to is, is the tour player a gearhead or not? I'd say the majority of tour players are not gearheads. They just see ball, hit ball. They know that this works and they go with it. Now, the gearheads are probably more likely to make adjustments and look at the things. But most of these guys are just... They're more worried about their craft, not necessarily the implement that they're using for their craft. Yeah. I still remember years ago sitting down. I think this was, man. Yo, it was. It was, uh, it was M1, M2 launch for TaylorMid. And I was, I was asked, hey, who do you want time with at the event from, from a tour pro perspective? And Rom was just kind of starting to come out on tour and, and come into his own. And they were like, just, you know, just pick one. And I'm like, wow, Dustin Johnson, for sure. I mean, DJ's, DJ's a big name. Let's go with DJ. That was a, that was a terrible mistake, Gene. It was a a truly terrible mistake. I don't think I ever made that one ever again. Um, Yeah. I've heard he's more concerned about his craft than what he's Well, and that, but it's kind of still the the same sort of deal. You know, you, you ask him about his gear and he's, he's very much a, a feel base player and right. so it you know he's looking for stuff that's going to help him out and you know as long and he's got a great relationship with with taylor maids vp of tour keith sabarbro who we've had on the podcast before and yeah he relies on on keith and and the insights that he provides and you know dj does his own testing i mean i remember earlier this year i saw him out in in at tory with two launch monitors so He's trying. He's trying to get numbers, but he certainly has. Uh, he certainly has a cast of of experts around him that are helping him dial in his setup. But yeah, trying to trying to get deep into the gear weeds with that guy that that's a, that's a non starter. It's not going to happen. You're, you're getting you're getting five five word answers. That's just the way it is. Uh, the only other one that I did want to bring to your attention might be one of the the funniest stories of the season did you did you happen to see spencer levine's putter gene i did not so spencer levine i mean he was he was a tour mainstay for a while was he ucla he's a ucla guy isn't he i think so well i mean i would expect a ucla guy to to know if that he's a ucla guy but 
you know, just, just, just relying on, just relying on a guy. Uh, I I'm, I'm almost positive that, that Levine was, was, was a Bruin. Um, anyway, right. he hasn't, he hasn't been on tour for a while, but he did, he did Monday qualify for, for the Shriners and he has this, this putter. Do you remember the hammy putter? Yeah. Okay. What do you remember about it? Uh, that it was incredibly ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 not it's not the prettiest looking putter, but but you know, I mean, think about think about the putter that Jack used to win the '86 Masters. No, fair point. And as I told you, I'm agnostic when it comes to putters, I but uh, I, 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 you know, not, you know, I, like you guys break down the looks and everything like that, and you know, at the end of the day. It, it it ultimately the putter comes down to performance. It really does. If it works, it you know, yeah, then go right. with it. Exactly. And so that's that's what he's got going on with this hammy putter. So years ago, I, I apparently it, it belonged to his dad, and he went out and, and took the putter and played around a golf with it and made eleven birdies. And he hasn't switched since. But it's got it's got an interesting look to it because. A lot of people, Levine even said that when he was on the the putting green, some of the guys were calling him, hey, what's up, Happy Gilmore? Because it has a split grip. So it has a grip on the upper part. It has a grip on the lower. So Levine, you know, grips it on the top like you normally would, but his his lower hand is reaching further down the shaft on on a a piece of, of grip that's now attached kind of more towards the midpoint of this shaft. And with one like this, you could actually anchor it, but because anchoring's illegal, he has to flare out that uh, that right arm to help him ensure that he doesn't that he doesn't anchor it at all. But it it is it is a wild looking putter. I you know these these are the ones that typically if a guy if a guy's gonna be the the center of of attention for a gear story during the week at a tour event because. Most of the time, those of us that are out on tour on a regular basis, we know all the gear stories. You know, it's, it's very, very seldom does any of that really interesting gear slip through the cracks unless a guy just happens to be struggling and he brings out an old putter. But yeah, it's usually the guys that are Monday qualifying, like Spencer Levine, and he ends up bringing out this hammy putter with the split grip. But I mean, the, if you go and you look at photos on, on Getty or photos or video from the tournament, it, it does look like he's putting like Happy Gilmore. It's, it's a pretty yeah, and pretty much anything you do in golf, either personally or professionally, that references Happy Gilmore, you are guaranteed to get no. some sort of uh, viral uh, attention to that. That's just that's just an absolute given. You know what I was looking at that I was curious. Oh, by the way, he is a Bruin. You are correct. Um, I will Thank hang you. my head in shame not knowing that. But um, what I was curious about, uh, Super Stroke. Is that a special grip that they designed for the midsection of that thing? I think they, I, yeah, I think they have the they have a split putter grip. Okay, so it comes right. it comes with the it comes with a, a shorter like butt end that kind of handle for the top, yep. yeah, and then and then a longer section that you can, <coughs> that you can slide down and, and and you know get into place depending on your height. Interesting. 
you want one? I, yeah. just, I just Googled it. It looks like you could, uh, looks like you can buy one for 35 bucks on online right now. Yeah. You know, once again, what was his putting stroke like before that? I mean, he's used it for a while. I did it, the, he was the interview that he did with, uh, with the PGA tour didn't mention anything about when he started using the putter, but, but it's, it seems like it's been in, it seems like it's been in the bag for a while. And and what is he doing? Like hit and giggle things, or is he doing Monday morning qualifying? I mean, he's what's still, he? He's, yeah, he's still trying to Monday qualify. Okay, so gotcha. he's, he's still he's still out there trying to trying to make a living. I had somebody reach out to me saying that they were buddies with with Spencer, and that maybe there's a chance he's not a gearhead, but maybe we could get him on the podcast. I think that'd be pretty fun. Yeah, that'd be interesting. So I'm going back through photos right now as we're as we're talking. Just trying to see if I could find like when exactly this putter went in the play. He's definitely using like a conventional length putter all the way up until and again, this is this is your boy who who you know peruses Getty all the live long day. Um, yeah, yeah. There's there's nothing that I can see as far as let's see what year was this. There aren't there aren't a ton of there aren't a ton of photos of uh, Spencer Levine on. Getty images that was 2016 he wasn't using so within the last six years is when he started using this guy mm. here's one from 2017 so yeah i mean this is this has been more this has been more like within the last like four or five years so it's not like he's been been using it for for ages or anything like that i mean you know if it works it works but it doesn't work that well because he's not on tour if that's his you know limiting yeah. factor from getting him on tour. So not to go totally off topic, but I, I miss personalities like Spencer Levine. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Those, those, those were some fun days. There were, there were some characters that were out on tour during like the, you know, kind of 2015, 2016, 2017, maybe, maybe a couple of years back from it's, there. It so. seems like, it seems like with the lives split, Golf has just really lost a lot of its kind of dynamic interest. You know, you don't hear from Bryson anymore. You, you know, he's kind of a, you know, I don't know if that's self-imposed or what. You don't hear from Phil. You know, you, you don't even really hear from Brooks. I and mean, Brooks was more of an Instagram guy outside of golf. But, you know, all these like kind of personalities that, you know, especially from your perspective, gave you things to write about. They, they've all gotten kind of dark. And most of the guys that are out there now on the PGA Tour, I don't want to say cookie cutter, but, you know, they're not leaping out on a week-to-week basis with anything terribly exciting, you know, from the personalities. Guys that have some good personalities that because of Liv have started to gain their own, their own platform and, and a bit more of the spotlight. One of them being Max Homa. Who's hilarious on Twitter? Yeah, and yeah. Homa is good. He's got I mean, a great Homa, personality. Homa is the exception. Yeah, yeah. And, and Tom Kim, who you know, sort of burst. I mean, he won Wyndham, but he burst onto the scene during the Presidents Cup. Won last week at, at Shriners. He he has. I feel like he's got a, a good personality. So there yep. there are some young guys that I that I think sort of break break that mold of of just you know growing up to be like the next Tiger Woods. And a lot of them are really cold and calculated and don't really have a great personality. A lot of the young guys nowadays are, are 
really friendly. You don't see a lot of guys that have the the same killer instinct as as Tiger did. I mean, I think everybody wants to win, but it's just so tough nowadays to dominate. But yeah, there are some good personalities out there, but yeah, Spencer Levine was a good one. I miss guys like that. Guys like Anthony Kim, you know. Oh, uh, Anthony. Anthony yeah. Bigfoot Kim. Where did Big he Kim. go? I know, I know. Somebody was joking that they're going to do – because that the Netflix, you know, Netflix followed a whole bunch of tour pros around for the last year, which of all the years to do a a doc on the PGA tour, this is I mean, this is the year to do it. I think it could do gangbusters when it does come oh, out. Yeah. And I think it's gonna come yeah. out the the early part of next year. I think Justin Thomas was on one of the late night shows and hinted at it coming out the early part of twenty three. But that's the only one that I think could do better is you know, an AK doc, like where's AK? What's he been up to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, He's still in Dallas. I, I hear from people that, that hang with, with AK. He's, he's just out. Does, fun. Is he a member of a club? So he, he had, he had, um, privileges at Lakewood, which is a golf course over in Dallas. And I remember a few years ago when, when, uh, Alan Shipnuck, who used to be a, a golf mag writer, wrote a story talking about this insurance policy that AK had that basically if, if he wanted whatever it was, 10 million or something was the number that was quoted. He had to, to never play another hole, basically never, never hit a, a shot in a professional event ever again to, to, you know, to keep the insurance policy. And, you know, I, I from what I'd heard when that story came out, AK showed up for about a week pretty regularly, almost, almost every day working with a coach there. And then it was like after a week, things just kind of died down and he never showed back up. Mm. So yeah, interesting stuff. Anyway, we're getting off topic, but I think that kind of covers it for this week's fully equipped. As always, if you want more gear news, you can check us out on social media. We are at full underscore equipped on Twitter and at full equipped golf on Instagram also, we did give away that Wilson staff model 8802 style blade. Kevin Flaherty, congratulations. Hopefully, by the time you're listening to this week's episode, that new putter will be in your hands. We'll be doing more giveaways down the road. As always, thanks for listening. Peace.